Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Linen Suit and Plastic Tie Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk to unique and unconventional storytellers to learn how storytelling has played a role in their professional, personal, and overall lives. I'm Gorv. Hey, Kev, have you ever seen the show Man with a Plan? Here we go again. Okay, okay, here's the thing about Man with a Plan. Okay, so it's a show about kind of the classic nuclear family. It stars Matt LeBlanc, and it's about this family. They have this paper towel on the fridge where they use for their grocery list, right? So they write out their grocery list on the paper towel, and then when it's filled, they whip it off, throw it out, and then roll down the roll. Kind of like how doctors use those sheets on the doctor's bed things, right? But this is what bothers me. At the bottom of that paper towel list, the disposable list of groceries, they always have this perfect drawing. It's like this beautifully drawn family or horse or something. And no for in all the episodes I've seen of the show, has any family member expressed an interest or passion for art? None of the kids do. The the dad is uh, definitely not his character. It would be totally weird for his character trait. And the mom seems too busy running around. She's not stopping to draw this perfectly picture at the bottom of the grocery list that's just going to get thrown out in the end. So I don't know who's drawing it, and it's bothering me. Now, they've never actually zoomed in on this or talked about it in the show, but always in the background of the kitchen, there's a grocery list and a little drawing. New drawing every episode, because obviously the grocery list gets done, it whips off, it throws away. I don't understand who... I want to talk to this set designer, because I want to know who made that decision, that in every episode there's going to be a new perfect drawing at the bottom of their uh, disposable grocery list. It bothers me. And that was three minutes. Anyways, today we are talking to Brent Dykes. Coming from a background in marketing and accounting, he has gone on to pursue a career in analytics consulting from Omniture to Adobe to Domo to more recently Blast Analytics, where he is now the senior director of insights and data storytelling, which is why we're so excited to have him here today and talk about data storytelling. But before we do that, why don't we get into our learnings? I mean, the first one I can think about is the first thing about ourselves this week is that as hosts of a show, it is really up to us to set the tone for our conversation and dictate the energy level. We are responsible for not only keeping the conversation going, but but also making everyone engaged, making ourselves engaged, making our, our guests more engaged, and um, as a result, make our conversation sound as interesting as they are to our audience. Yeah, I think our responsibility has become so much more clear over the last few weeks when we're really realizing that it's different than a coffee chat or regular interview or things that we did through networking in our lives. We are responsible for the tone. We are responsible for the energy because you can really hear that when you listen to a podcast. You can hear if everyone's excited and energetic and it's the host's job to keep people at that level. I think on this responsibility point, I think another big learning is that uh, we are also responsible for the narrative. Every expert storyteller we come uh, bring in, as everyone is amazing for an amazing story, but it's unique to them. It's their own story, and it, uh, it's our job to connect that to the overall narrative of the show. It's our job to connect it to other storytellers, to apply insight from other episodes, so that every episode is a part of the overall linen student plastic tie storyline and not just an isolated 
episode. Right now that we get all the learnings out of the way, let's get to the main conversation. Thank you so much for being here, Brent. And to start us off, what is your story? All right, yeah. So uh, my background uh, originally, I'm from Canada. I, I actually moved down to the states uh, about almost 20 years ago,、um, and I have a marketing background. That's what I originally I was thinking about accounting, and I was deciding between accounting and marketing, and was good with the numbers, but wasn't as passionate about、uh, accounting as I was about marketing because I really like the psychology and the and the consumer behavior side of of marketing, and so I went into marketing,、uh, and then. Found that I still missed the numbers, and so I went back, did my MBA, and then that's when I discovered marketing analytics. I joined a company called Omniture, that at the time was about seventy employees, and then about five years later, they were acquired by、um, Adobe, and so then I spent another seven years at Adobe、um, in consulting primarily, and also as a as an evangelist for our analytics platform. And then I decided to join Domo, which is a BI platform, and was there for four years. And now today I work at、um, an agency called Blast Analytics, and and we are experts in a number of、uh, technologies,、um, a lot of the Adobe stuff, Google Analytics stuff, also、um, BI work, and and many other things, including optimization. So. I'm actually leading a data storytelling practice there, and and I'm excited to to build and grow that. Yeah, well,、uh, going off of that,、um, Brent, you just talked about that you're leading specifically a data storytelling、uh, function、uh, in your current role. So, could you tell us more about what data storytelling is and、um, why is it so important for us? There's really kind of three pillars to data storytelling. Obviously, there's the data. Um, you know, when you're built, when you're telling a data story, you're you're basing it on facts. You're basing it on、uh, numbers and information. You know, I guess data doesn't have to be numbers, but it, it is data that you're getting from their systems or whatever. And then, obviously, the visualization is a big part of it because you know, if we look at the data that we're leveraging today, it can be、um, hard to to kind of process and understand and communicate easily. Without visualizations, visualizations play a big role in simplifying and, and making the、uh, information data more approachable for people. But the third component, which I think gets lost sometimes, is the narrative. And you know, we're not just、um, taking some data, putting it in some visuals, in some charts or what, whatever, and then calling it a data story. In my mind, that is not a data story. And recently, I was on a、um, On a at a conference, and I talked about three three things that I think are are really critical to the narrative part. You know, sometimes when we think about narrative, people think, well, it's just adding some text to the charts. You know, we just put a, a description or an annotation or some commentary with with the charts, and that's data storytelling. Well, you know, I would say yes, that's a piece of it. Uh, the next thing that I think is also kind of tied to data storytelling from a narrative perspective is the structure. So if you think of the the story arc and and how you organize your content and how you lay it out and and the sequence of the events and the in this case data that you're sharing,、um, if we can follow that 
that story arc, you know, often people associate it with having a, a beginning, middle, and end. And, and I actually don't like that definition, but I, I think it's well um, understood and, and maybe accepted. Uh, so that's another piece of it, the structure, um, you know, having that story arc uh, and how do we integrate that into the, into the, um, how we use the charts and share the information. So that's another aspect. And then the third aspect is what I would call the dramatic elements. So this is, you know, if you think of a traditional film or movie or book that you're reading, there are going to be these, um, you're going to have characters, you're going to have a setting, you're going to have suspense, you're going to have, um, you know, a climax or something like that. These are all, you're going to have conflict. You know, these are all elements that appear in a traditional story. Now, obviously we're, we're talking about data here. So in terms of data, what does that mean? It, it means a slightly different thing, uh, but you can still have characters in your data story, right? If you're looking at data for your employees, or you're looking at data for your customers or prospects or whatever kind of data you're analyzing, that is, that is representative of your character. You're talking about customers. And, and so, you know, you can have, you can humanize your data by, by remembering, you know, the behind the numbers are people a lot of the time. Um, other things like, you know, there are different techniques that I can use when I'm sharing information in a data story that can be suspenseful. I can, I can increase the, the intrigue and the suspense of how I share my, uh, my information. And, and so all of these elements, I would say it's, it's, it's the words, it's the structure, it's the, um, the dramatic elements that come together to really um, add the narrative to what many people may think is just, um, um, you know, data, data visualizations and nothing more. From there, um, would you also say that it's not always necessary to tell a full-on data story? Yeah, like one of the things I'll, I'll tell people is, you know, I go back to that scenario when you're trying to communicate an insight, an important insight to somebody else, that's when you need to tell a data story, you know? And, and again, if, if it's a, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday and they said, hey, if somebody was just coming to me with a question, would I need to turn my answer into a data story? And I said, no, you don't always have to, you know, if somebody's asking you what's the number and you say 42, that's it, you know? We, we sold 42 um, units yesterday. Okay, well, that's good. That's good to know. That's all I needed. However, if it's like, what, 42, only 42? Or, whoa, how do we get to 42? And then there's more questions or more things going on there. Yeah, then maybe you might have to pause and, and turn that into a data story. It, it's a decision that needs to, that relies on the, um, the buy-in or the approval or something from other people. And, and then those are the situations where I need to tell a data story. But, but yeah, to answer your question, we don't need to always tell data stories. It's just, uh, you know, it's a tool in the toolbox and there are gonna be situations where we need to tell data stories and, you know, we need to recognize them as such, but it's, it's mainly this distill it down. We have a key insight that we need to share with other people to drive some kind of decision. And, that that's the ideal situation for a data story. I think one some tension that some people have when they hear data storytelling is the idea of when people talk to data people, they look at data, they are really expecting like an unbiased raw view and narrative is a way that someone can kind of present the data in um, a little bit more of a 
story way. Isn't there a lot of room for bias there and kind of the fear of presenting data in biased ways when you add a narrative to it? Yeah, I mean, I think we get naive about the role that bias has. I mean, bias doesn't start when we're telling the story. It, it, it even starts with the analysis and, and what we choose to examine, what we choose to not examine. And, and then as we're examining, you know, we cherry pick which which facts or figures kind of match kind of our, I you know, does it tie to a, a hypothesis that we have? Does it tie to, you know, kind of maybe we have a bias around, maybe we, we feel like a project was successful or we feel a project was, was not successful. You know, sometimes we ourselves are going to introduce bias right from the scratch. And now your question is maybe how does the audience spot that and how do they detect that somebody's, you know, telling a story or, sharing information that could be biased. And I think a little bit of that goes with data literacy, you know, a little bit of it goes with critical thinking and asking questions. You know, I've, I've presented to executives who are very um, skeptical and uh, very data driven, and, and they're going to ask questions about, okay, what's the source of this data? You know, how do, you know, what are, what are the other, you know, they're looking for comparisons, like reasonable comparisons. So you're saying that um, this product category is where we need to spend money. Well, what about these three other product categories? How did they perform during this time period? You know, so it's really about asking those smart questions. And, and you know, we're always going to be on guard and, you know, we're going to, we're, and it's also about trust too with the storyteller. You know, you you can fool somebody once, but then you know the next time they're not going to be fooled, and you lose trust. And and I think that's the goal as an analyst or as a data storyteller. We never want to lose the trust of our audience. I, I love how you talk about bias because you know it's such an important thing to recognize. It's not like bias. Everyone has bias in how data sets are built, how data is collected, how the questions are asked. And it's such an important thing that we are on the lookout for that because it's not just about, a lot of people think it, it's about the evil person who's trying to manipulate the data and try to trick someone. But it happens with anyone depending on their role, their background, their experience. So I think it's a, such an important point to, to talk about in data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also kind of want to look at this from the other side of data storytelling as an audience uh, and especially in a time like where we are right now in time of pandemic there are lots of data floating around lots of information it looks like everyone can have a different data source or information source so in this kind of situation of us having an overflow almost of information and sources how can we tell what data we should be listening to so you're saying from an audience perspective, what should we trust? Yeah. And yeah. So, I mean, again, it goes back to, you know, do I, do I trust this data storyteller, whether it's a media site, whether it's a, an individual that's sharing information with me, you know, have I built a, a level of trust with this, this source? Uh, you know, and, and, and if I think about the different media outlets out there, there's some that I definitely trust a lot more than others, you know, and, and it's proven over time. You know, there's there's been situations where uh, different media outlets have been caught, you know, twisting the information, twisting the data. And so to me, you know, if that same media outlet came to me with new information, new data, I'm going to 
take it with a grain of salt. I am probably not going to trust it until they've, you know, backed it up. And then, you know, those in those scenarios, they're not taking those steps. They're just trying to, they're really, you know, leaning on the narrative and, you know, fact is kind of sprinkled in on top, but, you know, when it's convenient, uh, you know, again, it is part data literacy that we're looking, we're, we're thinking critically, we're, we're, we know what to look at in terms of visuals and how, you know, information can be twisted and contorted in a visualization to support uh, a, a key point that somebody's trying to make. Yeah, I mean, we keep coming back to the ideas of trust, uh, remembering that there's people behind the data and asking critical questions, and it's probably the most important parts of the field. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and this also circles back to the importance of narrative and maybe even a prerequisite of narrative is what kind of story, what is the purpose of the, of the story we're telling? No, as I can say, yeah, if that's to benefit your consumers, if it's to benefit your customers, your partners, whoever it is you're sharing that story, then yeah, it's, you know, you, there's no uh, malintent there. It's it's to to help benefit them. And, and I think that will be received well and, and maybe viewed as a competitive advantage, maybe viewed as a benefit that, that they get from your company that they don't get from the other providers, the other vendors in your market. For sure. And I see, I see so many parallels with just the classics of storytelling, the hero, the villain, uh, with everything around that. I think one big thing you talked about there as well is choice. There's a lot of decisions you make when you're exploring and uh, showing data. And I know I'm, I'm the type of person, and when I want to get better at storytelling, is I'm like the type of person that likes to say everything, likes to put it all out there, make sure I've said it all. But And I know when I started working with data, that's a little bit of a difficult that's not that's not a great approach because when you show too much data, it can become overwhelming, it can become confusing. They could uh, trip each other up, and it's not all useful. So it just ends up barraging people, and there's kind of that hole you fall into. Where it's like it's really exciting you can know all this stuff, but it's not very useful. So, kind of that connection with storytelling. How do you choose the right storylines to tell and the right data to show? Well, I think it starts with the audience, right? So you you understand the audience and understand what they're interested in, what they need to know, what are their priorities, what are their problems, what are the outcomes they're trying to drive, what are the actions that they're currently focused on in terms of the priorities and things that they're investing money in, and and then you know what are the metrics that they're being measured by? What are the you know key performance? You know, and that gives me as a as an analyst, as as somebody going into the data. Uh, gives me good uh, direction in terms of what kinds of stories will matter and will be of interest to this audience. And, you know, and not everything, you know, and, and we have to be careful in the analytics world is that we get excited. We, we start to see multiple insights in the data. And then what happens is we, we, we do a data dump and it just comes across as noise. It comes across as confusing. And really we, what we need to do when we're, building a data story is focus on one data story at a time. So we need to focus on one main insight, build that out, get, you know, provide all the supporting details and the hook and the everything we need to kind of build that out. And we need to, you know, be careful that we're, we're, we're looking at the data and the story that we're building from the eyes of the audience and edit. We have to self edit. We need to be careful. We need to, you know, I think it comes down to empathy. If we can, really approach the, the, the explanatory side. You know, we've gone through the exploratory, 
side, we've done all the analysis. Now we're coming out on the explanatory side where we want to share things with other people. And that's where we have to be empathetic to the audience and kind of look at it. Okay, so how can I communicate this information clearly and effectively with my audience and that they can come to the same conclusions that I came to, that, that they can see see the information the way I see it, even though they're not experts on the data like I am and haven't spent the time like I have. I think that idea of empathy with the audience is something we've talked about with such a variety of guests in so many different fields. And it's so important for storytelling. And that's why I love that you brought it up because we've talked to product people, we've talked to salespeople, uh, we talked to advertisers and we talked to psychologists and they always talk about empathy, empathy with the audience when telling a story. And so it's such an important thing to remember in any field. And that's why I, I love when we talk about it on the show. Yeah, it's, it's critical. Yeah, and with that, uh, Brent, you being kind of really specialized in uh, data storytelling uh, where you are now, but you also came from a marketing and accounting background. Uh, you draw a lot from uh, the film concepts in data storytelling. And for, from your perspective in any field, so technical or non-technical, why is it important that we become better storytellers? Well, I mean, it's one of the main ways or the most powerful way we have of sharing information, you know, regardless of it's data or not data, uh, we share this information um, in a way, uh, a story is kind of like a package that, that communicates directly to someone's brain. We're, we're, we're storytelling creatures, as some people have said. Um, we really rely a lot on the narrative and, and processing that and um, you know, that's an important thing to us as human beings. So when you have a mechanism like a story that people are accustomed to learning, um, you know, new information via stories that that they engage the, the human mind in a much deeper, uh, profound way than just raw facts can, then you, you want to tap into that, you know. And, and so if you're whether you're technical, non-technical, um, you know, it's just a great way of, of communicating with other people and and engaging them and having your ideas remembered. So there's, there's lots of, you know, there's three key benefits. Your, your people retain stories much longer. You know, it's almost like you're packaging your facts with the narrative and it sticks with people. They're able to record it. They're able to remember it much easily, more easily. It's also highly persuasive. You know, there's lots of research in my book around the persuasive capabilities of stories and how, you know, we, we will, it's almost like a hypnotic effect when you, you when you're telling somebody a story. They've actually done stories where they call it narrative transportation, that people kind of in, enter into this hypnotic state uh, when they're hearing a story, and they're less likely to nitpick on technical details like little things. They they want to see where the story goes. They want to see where the you know things go, what happens, and and so they're listening much more attentively. And and that's the third thing you. You really engage people. It's it's much more engaging for people. It's going to hold their attention. It's going to, you know, it it's just why would you not package things up as stories? They're you, you know, uh, in my book I talk about it as you know, like if you think of a, uh, you know, a metropolis, you know, a big city like Toronto or New York or whatever, and you're trying to drive somewhere, 
would you want to just you know stay in the uh you know in, in the in the main lanes that get congested and and move slowly you know and there's lots of uh cars that are tying back or would you want to jump into the express lane you know and that's what stories are in the human mind i see it as the, you know you got these pathways in the brain why would you not want to take the 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 highway why would you not want to take the express lane uh, why would you want to go with the rest of the information gets clogged down and slowed down in the, in the traffic, uh, you know, through traditional kind of processing. But what I love about when we talk to people like you, technical people, non-technical people, people from so many different fields is no matter what you're presenting, no matter what your subject matter expert in, we've heard it. We've always heard them say it's about the people. It, there's people behind everything and stories is how we connect as humans. So, um, it was really, it's amazing insight. Thank you. To close our episode, we have this fun segment called Suspenders. <laughs> Basically, we ask you uh, a very random, fun question that's not related to anything, and you can give us any answer you feel like. Okay. Our suspender question for the day is, what is one superpower that you wish you had? Wow. So I am a comic book uh, geek. And so now you're like, me too. Now, now you're like testing me on which superhero do I want to uh, be most like? Uh, I think, uh, I, I think the ability to fly, I, I'm not a Superman fan. I, I, I think that would be a cool uh, skill. And Welcome back to Top Hat. This is the part of the episode where we analyze our key learnings from this week's expert storyteller. So, Kev, um, what were some of the key things you learned from Brent this week? Well, as an analytics student, I certainly learned a lot from our conversation. And I think more importantly, of the three pillars of data storytelling, so data, visualization, and narrative, I found a really important to have a really structured narrative for a story. So really building up your story arc, starting from an anomaly or a key observation you found uh, as an analyst in your data. And from there you develop your story with further deep dives in your data or any analytics techniques you apply to it. And then, then comes the climate of your story the key insights that you want to communicate with your audience. And from there, the actionable recommendations you have for them. What kind of actions do you want them to take? Uh, what kind of decisions should they make about this finding? And this is, I think, the backbone to data storytelling and really uh, the more general story that um, we tell in, in uh, other disciplines as well. And we kind of talked about it uh, in our earlier episodes as well with, uh, you know, Larry's source structure where the situation's set up, there's an obstacle, um, and you have to take actions to in response to your obstacle the story develops and then comes uh, the achievable result of your story 
that connection is key talking about uh, in data storytelling finding the hero finding the villain finding these kind of film elements in your data story and what's great about this is yeah it connects you back to almost every storyteller we've had like larry who talked about uh when you tell your stories about yourself in job interviews explain the obstacle explain the villain explain the hero it's the same thing with data storytelling and what we're hoping is that you're starting to see these connections as we are we're starting to see how in every type of story no matter data uh, job interviews understanding how to craft a narrative understanding how to present an obstacle how to get people rooting for you as the hero and building a story around that is so essential i think another key connection here is that uh, brent was talking a lot about audience knowing your audience and that's another key connection to a past guest and storytelling you always start with your audience whether it's an interviewer whether it's a technical person whether it's executives you start with your audience you understand them and then you build the data or really any story around that i think the central part of this episode was the ideas of trust in any data uh, position any data story you have to build trust so people can trusting the methodologies because there's a lot of room for you to take liberties or what not so trust remembering that everything has people behind it and because of that because you understand that you can ask critical questions based on that to understand how people got to what uh, how things were built so that you can really build a more fruitful and truthful storytelling question so if there's one thing we want you to get out of this is always ask questions This has been another episode of Linen Student Plastic Tie. We will see you next week.